Alright, welcome to this episode of Sheep Among Wolves. I am Jeff Workheiser, and you are I'm Danny DeLeon. Welcome uh, back. Yeah, it's good to it's good to know somebody out there eventually will be listening to this. We don't know when. I'm confident. Are you? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm confident. Okay. At least one. That's a that's one yeah. option. Yeah. <laughs> at least one. <laughs> I don't know. I, I wonder when this all drops. You know, we're talking about dropping these. Who knows what will actually happen? But you know, probably throw in ten or twelve episodes, everything out there at once, and I just wonder how many people will make it this far. Oh well, that's another this thing. deep. Yeah, because you know, this is that episode one. In fact, you know, we've been doing this book club on C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, mm-hmm. and uh, we are in the home stretch theoretically. It's taken us a little longer to get here the last couple of months just with schedules and things, but so we're starting book four. And so yeah, so I wonder, Danny, how many people I think I think we've done ten episodes before this. I have to I have to go back and look. Ten so, episodes really. I think so. I think uh-huh. we're right around there. Right. So um, we have a couple more to do. So in book four, Lewis decides really to step away from sort of the the basic stuff that he's been talking about, and he wants to dabble more in some of the deeper aspects of theology, and and then he's going to finish with some practical application, which is really where uh, where our where our conversation is going to be centered. I think book four has eleven or twelve chapters in it, and we're actually going to skip all the way, uh, even though we're just starting book four, we're skipping all the way to books or to chapters seven and eight. Right. So. Uh, chapter 7 is uh, this about what it means, the idea of putting on Christ. Chapter 8 talks about really how hard that can actually that, that can actually be. So, so yeah, so he, he's been talking about facts like who God is, what God has done. Um, and he says, you know, for, for those, it's funny to listen to him write about, I wonder who's still sticking with these radio addresses <laughs> from 1941. <laughs> Uh, which have become this classic book. But he says, here, yeah, if you've been sticking with it, now now we have to get to what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. Theology is important, but it's not as important as, as practical application, or it's no more important than application. And so, yeah, so as he puts it, what difference does all this theology make? And so that becomes the impetus for book four. So he's starting with this idea, we're talking about uh, the phrase putting on Christ, which is a biblical term. But he starts with the idea that in his in his words, as Christians, what we're really called to do is we're called to to pretend to be like Christ. And I want to circle back to that in a minute, Danny, and ask you what you think about yeah. his use of the term wow. pretend there. But but uh, in, he does he does mention I guess what you could think of a slightly more biblical language, which is dressing up as, as Christ or uh, the NIV talks about clothing yourself with Christ, mm-hmm. which is more out of the text. And I've never thought about that before as pretending, and in fact, I'm not sure that 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 is pretending. Here, I think somebody's mowing our lawn outside, Danny. I think so. Get a little background yeah. noise. Yeah, I see a body passing by the window. All so, right, yeah. that's good. We've had some interesting challenges with sound, of, unintentional sound effects in this podcast. Hopefully, edit it out. But um, so I think the word pretending makes us feel a little uncomfortable, but. He talks about, you know, at one point, you know, anytime you begin to pray and you address God, as I think we typically do, as, as Father, you say you, know, you say that about God. If you're really thinking about it and you're really honest, you recognize that even though you're saying you're calling God Father, you don't really rec- you don't really re- you don't really resemble the the actual Son of God. Right. And so, in a sense, it's an aspirational statement, even though. We're told in Scripture that that is how God thinks about us, and yeah. and this is how God wants us to address Him. So it's not like we're pretending to be something and God is mad. This is how God wants us to address Him, right. and and how and honestly, more it's it does speak to how He wants us to act. He wants us to He wants us to go out into the world and live as the Son of God. So as much as we can. And so um, anyway, I don't know. Do you like the term "pretend" there, or is that I don't know? Would you? Is there a better term? Um, I mean. I don't like the term pretend. I, I do like. I'd rather uh, say the dressing up for Christ or the 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 uh, you know put it on Christ. 
but he's not wrong I think in his idea behind what he's saying you know um, when, when he says protect so well, it goes to the idea of, of imitation right yeah and so well in fact you know, where he goes here is he does talk about how there's two kinds of pretending mm-hmm. and so as we talk through that a little bit that probably gets us closer to what he's trying to say that we would probably agree with so on the one hand there's the there's the negative kind of pretending which is pretending to be good mm-hmm. but not being good so you know yeah. I don't know get some yeah. thoughts or examples of what that might look like people who are phony who try to make themselves look better than they really are yeah and I guess maybe that's the danger of why I don't like pretend the word pretend so much because when you hear pretend you think phony you think, yes exactly you know and so uh, your mind kind of goes there but you know an example of that would be you know uh, Jeff I ask you uh, or you come out to me and you say, hey, man, anything you ever need, you need me to move anything for you, you need me to do anything for you, just let me know, yep. and I'm here for you. And then, uh, you know, uh, Preferably day, you do that publicly. Right. So right, everybody else right, hears you right, say it. Right. And so then. Now, now, and then all of a sudden when I actually do need you, you know, hey, man, I got a you know piece of furniture. To, I know you offered your help. Can you help me out? Well, uh, yeah, well, the thing is, you know, and you come up with an excuse, ah, my toe hurts today, I need to take an aspirin, I don't know, whatever it is, but you kind of just get away from it and you don't really follow through with anything that you're saying that you would do. And so in a sense, you're pretending before others, especially, you're pretending to, yes, I here I am, I'm this good person, but yet inwardly, you have no intent of following through with what you just said. Yeah, it's more marketing than, right. than sincerity. Right. Yeah. So on the other side, and then this is where it starts to click what he's what he's at least trying to say, even if pretending isn't the perfect word, is um, pretending to be good at something because you actually want to get good at it, mm-hmm. and so you're trying to you're trying to move in that direction, yeah. even though you're not there. So the motive is different. Exactly. Yeah. Which is not you would not describe that as phoniness or hypocrisy, right? That's no. that's a different thing, right? That's um, you're not passing yourself off there as something that you're not. You're recognizing you're lacking in something, and so I want it. I want to move in that direction, and right. part of moving in that direction is to act differently, maybe than I really am. But I got to try it if I'm going to get there. Yeah. No. That that makes sense. I I had this. Uh uh, company I used to work for, the vice president of the company, he used to have this saying, um, and he would just say, you know, dress dress for the job that you want, not the one that you have. That's a good one. And I think, you know, uh, I, you know, I kind of think about that when, when what we're talking about here, you know, you want to become more like Christ, and so you dress up as if you are, right? As if, and so you, you strive for that. Um, so I think that mindset is the, the kind of mindset I kind of see uh, C.S. Lewis going on here with. Yeah, it's funny. We do have some. That's a good. That's a good uh, business world. Mm-hmm. I hate to. I don't mean this in a negative sense, but it's a cliche. But it's a right. useful cliche. Right. You can see the value in it. And mm-hmm. there's some other ones that any cliche can be misused. But you hear people say stuff like "act better than you feel." Mm-hmm. Um, now again, that can be. That could be a recipe for hiding who you really are, but that could also be, you know, what I'm, I'm down, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna push through and be positive, right. which can be a good thing. Um, or, you know, maybe uh, in a more coarse way, we would say fake it till you make it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is again, it's not all bad. It can be overdone or overused. Um, yeah. I was actually as we were reading this, I don't remember where I saw this, but I, a lot of this originates, believe it or not, from Aristotle, who used to read. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've heard the phrase. Um, he said at one point, men acquire a particular quality by constantly acting a certain way. Uh-huh. Which is just a fancier Greek way of saying that. Yeah. Like if you want to become this, then you gotta try it out. You gotta work on it and do it. And because otherwise if you're just sitting around saying, Boy, I hope that happens to me someday. Yeah, life doesn't, doesn't generally that work way. that way. Yeah. So Lewis's words on page one forty seven of my copy. He says very often the only way to get equality in reality is if to st- is is to start behaving as if you had it already, mm. which you know he puts everything better than I do. <laughs> He's good with words. He's pretty good with words. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So he, he says um, from the moment that you start trying to act, actually be like Christ, even though we all recognize we're not like Christ, uh, you start to notice some of the ways that you might stop pretending to be like him and actually become like him. Mm-hmm. And again, it can never happen fully, but he just you know, puts, it, puts it kind of bluntly there in the book. He basically says you're going to notice when you start acting like Jesus, you're going to start to notice some things that you should be doing, so you should do them. Yeah. And some things that you should not be doing, so you should stop. Yeah. And it's simple, but it's interesting how that works, right? Can you think of this, anything like that, maybe, that you've ever experienced where you just, as, as you tried to become more of a disciple, you you became aware of some things and you said, well, I, I don't have an excuse for that. Mm-hmm. That's just got to change. Yeah. And then you can sort of address it and start working on it. Yeah, I, I have a lot of things like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but I think that that you know when we talk about you know uh, this, we're, we're talking about it's more than just works, right? We're talking about becoming something, becoming someone, right? And so um, a lot of it has to do with you know who you are as a human being, you know, and, and what changes. Uh, within right so this is these are a lot of core things um so um uh, but at a simple level you know uh, uh, you can start with simple things it doesn't have to be grandiose at first you know you you take little bites of the apple and mm-hmm. then you continue to grow spiritually but you know um to become like christ means that I'm going to stop using foul language. There's one example. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I used to talk a certain way. Right. I used to say certain words that now I recognize, wait, wait a minute, this isn't the way Jesus would want me to talk. This is not the way Jesus talks. Yeah. And so now you stop using that foul language and, and, and not just stop using that, but you start inserting, start using words that build up people instead. And so I think that's a very simple way that you can just start one step, you know, um, becoming more like Christ. And there's so many different examples. I mean, but, you know, it doesn't have to be. Sometimes we put in our heads that it has to be this grandiose thing, like makeover, right? right. Like like one of those makeovers on TV that you see, <laughs> oh, and you spin around well, the chair. And it takes 30 minutes, like, wow, right? right? 30 minutes and you're done. <laughs> it, it, yeah, yeah, no, this is a lifelong process, and we take bites of the apple. Discipleship takes at least 45 minutes. <laughs> Maybe an hour for some of us. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because you said about a lot of stuff. The language is a good one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, things that you really do know. You know, Jesus, if I was truly resembling Jesus, I wouldn't be doing this. And you make excuses over time a lot of times. That <coughs> it's not that bad. Or it's kind of, well, I'm doing this because that's the world I live in and i got to find my place in it. But... Right. I was just thinking, I, I might have, we've, we have recorded these sessions over so many months, I can't always remember what we've <laughs> talked about. But, you know, the pandemic has been on our on our minds. Thankfully, we're moving into a hopefully post-pandemic uh, point by now. But I, I keep thinking about how over the course of the pandemic, you know, some of the things I've seen in myself that I have not liked as mm. I've tried to, you know, move in a more Christ-focused way. We're all trying that every day, but sometimes it takes difficult situations to really uncover some things they were, oh, yeah. were always there but they were just kind of lurking under the surface yeah. so you know I, I know I have struggled with this for a long time but especially in the pandemic I would with the idea of how I'm judging people um, somebody that I might know very well and think very highly of even people who are good Christian examples in my life have during the pandemic said something or done something and I've looked at that thing and I've been so agitated or upset by that one thing that they've done that I have been willing to sort of dismiss who I know them to be as Mm. a full person and just focus not that I've written them up but but I've just focused on that one thing when I think of this person I'm just thinking of that one thing instead of these 20 other things that I know that are godly about them and I've just been really I felt myself get pulled into that and you know when I really think about it it's it's that's pharisaical, you know, that kind of judging, focusing in on some details, not seeing the bigger picture of who people are. And, and so, you know, exposing in my life my, my, the gap between me judging 
the way I judge and Jesus judging the way he judges. Yeah. So I know that's been a good, an unpleasant reminder for me. But so. Yeah, and, and I think we all have things like that. I, I think he, um, he alluded to this in, in the book. I think he talks about turning the lights on and then the rats scatter, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, we all have stuff in the basement, right? And yeah. so, you know, and... Every now and then, when the lights, you know, when things expose those things, you know, they resurface and there are things in our core that we continue to work on. Yeah. You know, um, but we, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Well, I do, I do love here how he takes us in this direction it needs to go, and you never know when you start reading something where it's going to end up. But I do think we have a, a mindset of, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna become more and more like Jesus because I'm just gonna work at it really hard and mm. get better and better every day. And the harder you work, and hard work is good and effort is good. But he he points out here that this this consciousness of the gap between who we are and who Christ wants us to be is really is really Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit working in us to start to change our pretending into the real thing. So he's raising that awareness, he's showing us the gaps, and he's trying to help us, um, be, I guess you would tell you this is the transformation process, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, it requires a lot of things, but it requires a lot of work by God. And so, um, and so God, may, God may use a lot of different things to bring that about, that transformation, that revealing of the gap in us, and that desire to turn us from somebody who is, let's say, pretending to be somebody who speaks in a in a Christ-like way, transforming us into somebody who does speak in a Christ-like way. Right. Um, so, I mean, what are some of the things that you've seen how God has worked in your life to bring the change about in you as you've wrestled with becoming a disciple? Because we all have stuff we can look back on. Hopefully, well, I used to do this and that was that was I've become somebody different. I've become I'm moving toward Christ. Uh jeez. Um uh, certain life situations I guess can you know, when, when it's like oh, when you ask for patience and then you're kinda in situations where you have to learn patience. <laughs> Or, you know, it's like, I think patience was a big one for me, you know, uh, like anger. You know, and so you're saying God can transform you by giving you some of, putting you in a situation that will stretch your, who you are. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I think so. To testing, trials, that sort of thing. Yeah. Not temptation, but. Right, that. no, but the, the, the trials, you know, so and then, you know, um, you know, because he understands that there's a desire there to please God, you know. Um, and so, but, you know, without the situations at hand, you never get to test, you know, you, you won't grow. Yeah. You, you know, you have to be stretched to to grow. It's interesting it's, like that. And the, well, those are the situations, too, that you you oftentimes don't realize what God is doing when you're in the middle of them. You right. have to look back on them. That's true. So a lot of times... You would even you would identify this as a terrible thing or a negative thing that I'm I'm going through. I'm enduring. I'm suffering, and then five years later, you go, well, that wasn't it. As it turns out, I wouldn't want to go back, but it wasn't a negative thing because it produced this kind of growth in me or this kind of fruit yeah. in me. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's one of those, uh, you know, what does God do and how does He do it kind of things that. We just we believe he works in these situations, but we don't always know where the we don't always know where the lines are. Yeah. All of our suffering certainly doesn't come from God, but sometimes it might. So. Yeah. Yeah. Really, he probably we would say in a classical way we would say you know he brings about change in us by more easily if we're in if we're in the scriptures because we're yeah. conscious of he he really does lay it all out there pretty well so. If we're the more we familiarize ourselves with His Word, the more, the more likely we are to, to to understand when we're in a situation what He's looking for. Yeah. So the work of the Holy Spirit is in there, which again is somewhat mysterious. Yeah. But see, that's interesting because the Holy Spirit and the Word of God never work apart from each other. Yeah, I agree. You know. Um, well, the Spirit the Spirit can do things. The Spirit does not depend on you being in your Bible to act, but. 
Right. But it's consistent with what's in the Absolutely. Bible. Absolutely. Spirit's yeah. not going to tell you to right. do something that the That's word says, uh-uh. Exactly. So, and yes. yeah. And so how all that works, mm. I, I still find mysterious is still yeah. the word I <laughs> go to whenever I'm talking about the Spirit. <laughs> so there's those things. And then there's, he spends a lot of time talking about the idea of godly people. That having godly people in your life is one of the best ways that you can see Jesus actually mirrored. That it's harder for us to to imagine. We don't exactly know what Jesus looked like. We don't know what his voice sounded like. We know who he is because of the scriptures. But but in truly godly people who are, who have become disciples and who are ahead of us in their spirituality are people that we can look at. Yeah. And that's one thing God uses to show us, which is good. But he also rely, reminds us that sometimes we rely too much on on those people, right? Yeah. And we don't quite get to Jesus ourselves. So what's the, I mean, what's the shortcoming of that? Where do we, how do we balance that? Or what's the issue that can come from that? Are there any ideas on that? Well, people are flawed, you know? And so even though they're, they're, uh, godly people that, 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 that we can aspire to become like they're flawed individuals at the end of the day as well and so they could disappoint us mm-hmm. they can uh, you know they can fail they can you know and so um, if we set all our hopes and all our trust in that uh, we're going to be disappointed uh, it's interesting I was reading an article on the web yesterday or today uh, one of the largest Evangelical Christian denominations in America has lost in the last year about a half a million uh, members. Wow. And there are different reasons, and a lot of these things are interrelated, but one of them does appear to be that there have been some, within the leadership of this group, there have been some major scandals. There have Mm. been some people who are powerful evangelical pastors who have large followings and big churches and... Um, people have relied on people have put them on a pedestal whether they ask for it or not Mm -hmm. but when somebody like that if you have formed your faith around this person (laughs) and then that person does what people do which is sin uh, sometimes you can't handle that and so um, not to justify any of it but so there is that that sense that if you're if you're you put all your eggs in that basket of flawed human beings, as you said, yeah. and, and even the ones who don't let you down, this is the harsh reminder too, even the ones who have never let you down spiritually don't live forever. So yeah. Yeah. nobody's, nobody's going to be there live and in person forever. That's so true. so balancing that, you know, being conscious of the, this mirror that people provide for us to help us see Jesus while... Well, while still realizing that at best they're a, a pretty, at best they're a, they're a distant copy mm-hmm. of who Jesus really is. Yeah. So we can only go so far with that. That's we can right. learn a lot and grow a lot, but we're never going to get there by adhering to people or admiring people too much. No, it should always lead to Christ. It should always lead to Christ. You know, those people are helpful along the way. They help us to develop our faith, to grow in our faith, but. Our faith is centered on Jesus Christ. So that's what we always have to fixate our eyes on. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, so as we're growing, we're trying to become more like Jesus. We're moving from pretending to something better than that. And as he makes the point that as we do that, that's when we start to really understand some of these theological terms like being born again, putting on Christ, Christ being formed in you, uh, having the mind of Christ. Those things when you are a new Christian, you've just been baptized, you're starting your walk with Christ, you hear these terms, they probably don't make, you think you understand them, but you don't really start to understand them until later. And so this is more, again, than just reading Scripture and trying to do what Jesus says. This is actually how how Christ is working in us. trying to kill the old self in a sense and replace it with something that looks like him. And so that is what, you know, what you've been saying to our church for three years now, that's discipleship, really. That's that process, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a transformation process. You know, it's a process that, like you said, it's not not just works, it's not just, 
know, I check this, do this, do that, you know, and then I clock out and I go home. It's, you know, God is doing something. He's, he wants you to become. It's it's an identity change. It's not, uh, you know, so it's a total uh, transformation, you know, from, from inside out, right? Um, which is very different um, and much more real than just checking the box. Yeah. Checking the box is easier. It is. And less threatening. Yeah. Because we can, we feel like we have some standard of holiness that's good enough. Right. We can still kind of be who we want it to be before Jesus. We can hang on to that. Um, but that's not what he's looking for. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of it's a scary thing to think about that level of transformation. Or, you know, it can be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, becoming more like Jesus. It's easy to say, I want to be more like Jesus. But the implications of that are profound. Yeah. So. He does say here at this point that um, if, we're, if we're going down that path, at some point then we're going to make, he describes it as two other discoveries. He says, one, you're going to, be, you're going to become more conscious, not, not so much of the fact that you, have sin, that you commit sinful acts occasionally in your life. You're, you're going to become more conscious of the fact that at your core you are sinful, mm. that this in fact... That, that even when, and it, it differentiates here, that even when your conduct is pretty good, your motives often are not. Yeah. So outwardly, I might be doing something to help you, Danny, move that thing I told you right. I would move. Right. But in my head, I'm mad because you're taking up my Saturday. Or I'm looking around thinking, who else can see this so somebody else knows what I'm doing. You know, that true selfless act, I won't say we're incapable of them, but... A lot of our acts are not selfless. We have a selfish yeah. motive, and so. And, and you know what? And and to, that that could be self-deceiving. You know, that could be a deceiving thing for us and stumbling block in our walk with Christ. Um, you know where or and it's a stumbling block I think for a lot of people. You know, where at the core they feel like they are good. You know, um, and 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 not recognizing that at the core. They're sinful. Right. That that there's not you know at the core there's there's no good, right? Um, and I've had different conversations on this, and I've heard different people talk, and it's it's a scary place because if you don't feel if you feel that you're good, then you don't see a need for redemption. Yeah, you know you don't see yeah. a need for Jesus because at my core, if I think I'm good, then what's the point? Right. And so that could put us in a very dangerous spot, I think. There's a sense in which, you know, heaven, eternal life is going to be f- where God puts the good people. Mm. And certainly I'm one of the good people. So mm-hmm. we might not, we might stop short of saying I deserve heaven, but there's a little bit of that in us that, right. well, if there's going to be a heaven, it's obviously I'm the kind of person that should be there. Yeah. And so we have a lot of that. We have a lot of that rattling around in our brains. Yeah. So... So that's one discovery he says we'll make mm-hmm. in this process. Our core sinfulness, we'll start to realize that. And the other is that that the only real change that's going to happen in us, the only real change, is going to happen when God, when God does it. Yeah. Um, so we're you know despite how we talk about this a lot, we really don't do very much. Hmm. All our effort, all our work doesn't really do much toward the goal of transforming us. And really, at Lewis's words, you know, at, we, we at most allow it to be done to us. On page 150, he makes that comment. And I, I, I do think that's, he says at most, I do think that's a, an incredibly important point of differentiation. Um, people would say, well, that's you earning. Uh, Calvinists might say, you don't. You can't even allow God to work in you. God will do it because if you allowed Him, that would be a work, and you can't earn your way to heaven. And I, I don't think that's biblical. No, you know, I think, uh, so I think this goes more to the idea of free will and right. saying to God, "Okay, I, I'm going to do everything I can to let myself put myself in your hands and yeah. let you do what, what you have to do." But that's okay. certainly not an easy thing, and that's the most we really contribute to it. That's yeah. Yeah, I agree with that, and I, I, I tend to see this more as we respond 
mm-hmm. you know, to what God is doing. And so we we respond to God. God is, you know, calling us to love like he loves. God is calling us to, you know, show compassion like he show consp- shows compassion and, and so on and so forth. Those are called fruits of the Spirit, yeah. right, for a reason. And so, um, but we have to respond to those things because yeah. I can shut out that. I can shut God out. I can, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. So, which brings us to chapter 8. And in chapter 8, uh, Lewis sort of draws a line in the sand. He basically says this, that this idea of putting on Christ is essentially what Christianity is all about. Um, that putting on Christ is not, is not, for, it's not something for um, the people who, you know, are, are what he might call a saint, you know, in, in the, the ideas of some of his religious background, but mm. this is something for every Christian yeah. to put on Christ and that God adopts us as his children. He transforms us into, and he transforms us into people who actually resemble his children. Yeah. And so this is Christianity. What do you think about that? Do you agree with him, or is there is he missing something, or is he eighty percent of something? What do you think about that? I like um, there's a preacher out west named Jim Putman. He's written different books, and he used an illustration one time uh, about this putting on Christ, and I kind of liked it. And and he talks about this as you're putting on this white robe that has no stains at all right and so you're putting this on over you mm-hmm. and now God's looking at you and he's seeing you stainless with you know just a pure white robe and that's like putting on Christ and then he says but underneath that robe you know you still got the stain from the Kool-Aid that you were drinking earlier and you got <laughs> you know and whatever else you were eating and you still all have all these stains on your t-shirt underneath that you're still working through and that's sanctification that's what the bible calls you know to grow in holiness and so we start you know using the tire to just to remove those things now i'm stretching this (laughs) illustration too far out but you get what i'm saying um it's it's now god views us through the lens of christ he sees us and we put on christ but it doesn't mean that we're without sin. It doesn't mean that right. we have uh, uh, that we don't have struggles that we still have to work through. You know, um, we still continue to work out our salvation, right? And so, um, I, I I like that illustration. So, those are my thoughts on that. Uh, yeah. Well, I just keep coming back to the word discipleship, and really, yeah. if you really think about, you really could say almost interchangeably, discipleship. Is the process of putting on Christ? That is. It is a. I mean, yeah. the, the his analogy that you talked about is a good one, but as far as how God views us, but in terms of the sanctification and the being transformed, that that isn't a bam. I just bleached you clean. It's no, no, a. No. It's a. Over time, we're gonna we're gonna work yeah. on these stains. And, yep. exactly. <laughs> I don't want to push the analogy too uh, far, but uh, you like it though, right? I do like <laughs> it. It's oh, a pretty yeah. good one, right? No, it's a very good one. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's actually it's useful to think of that as, yeah. you know, what are we trying to do when we say, "Well, I'm I'm pursuing discipleship. I'm trying to become more like Jesus. I'm trying. I'm in the I'm in the path yeah. of putting Him on more and more every day, so that with the unach- unachievable goal of being." That in my lifetime, people will look at me and see Jesus. Yeah. We're never going to completely get there, but that's the path that we're on. That's what we're that's what we're asking for, yeah. <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. Uh, and recognizing that only God working in us is going to bring that about. Absolutely, and I, I always get encouraged to know, you know, to 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 read about the the, the men and women that God has used in the scriptures, and that you see this process. Uh, in their lives, you know, um, you see this growth in their lives and where they've messed up and, and you know, and as they continue to grow and yet, oh, I stumbled and, and, but God is there working through them and they're working and allowing God to work in them, you know, um, we have a lot of examples like that in the scriptures. Yeah. And so to me, that gives me hope, that encourages me, you know, that it's like, wow, you know, God loves me this much, and He's helping me along this process. 
And and it gives me, you know, that when I do stumble, I can lean into God's grace and, and get back on track, you know, where God kind of dusts me off and says, all right, keep moving forward, you know. He sees my effort, Jeff. He sees where I'm striving. He yeah, knows my yeah. heart, you know. And that's why I've always hesitated to say strive, striving and effort is not not relevant. I do believe that's important. Yeah. Uh, again, we can't get there on our own effort. Right. On I like Lewis's can't get there on your own steam i love that expression but even yeah. though people look at me funny when i say it but <laughs> no i'm not british and it's not 1941 but um you try to accent go ahead but no oh, <laughs> definitely i can't i can't i can't even do southern accents and i i spent four years in texas and have southern family i can't i can't do it so i sound more ridiculous than usual more ridiculous um so yeah so so this is, is not, he, he makes the point that this is not what other people describe as morality or being good. Those things tend to have an element there of selfishness in them, self-interest. Yeah. Um, you know, there are things that I, there are things in society that I may want to do because I want to do them, but I recognize that I can't do them because society regards them as immoral um, or maybe even God regards them as immoral so I shouldn't do them but I still I still want them I still want those things that's still in me um, and so I want to be good and so I will follow rules because I want to be good but what I really want more than anything a lot of times is I want I want my own happiness I want to I want what I want yeah Lewis's point here is that in his words and this is a quote in fact it's kind of a long quote but I'm going to read it page 153 says the Christian way, is different, harder, and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Wow. That's a that's a scary and beautiful yeah. <laughs> way of looking at things. We, we find echoes of that in Scripture, right? We do. Um, I think about First Corinthians two, um, where Paul is writing, and he says the person, per- the person with the spirit. This is verse fifteen, I think. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for he has known the mind of the Lord, mm-hmm. so as to instruct him. Which is actually a quote from Isaiah. It says, "But we have the mind of Christ." Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans twelve one, you know. Uh, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. I think these are places where Lewis is echoing those scriptures as he's, again, speaking to a non-Christian audience. Yeah. But he's expressing those ideas. Um, yeah, you, I want to I change you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want you... I don't want... And, when this, when you allow me to do this, you won't have to be pretending anymore. Exactly. This will be who you become. Right, and that's wow. the key thing there. Uh, you know, you're becoming something. You're 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 being. You know, in Christ, and so um, it's to be something. It's an identity change. It's a whole. You know, now it's not my will. Now it's His will. You know, and so that's that's the whole idea behind becoming like Christ. The tough part is, like you said, or like Lewis wrote, is, you know, we want to keep our happiness, what we think is what really makes us happy, which in the end really doesn't because we were (laughs) designed to worship God, you know. Um, And so that's where we really find our full satisfaction, all the things that we're looking for, we're looking for in the wrong things. But, you know, yet we want to hold on to those things, you know, because we have this false sense that these are the things that are going to make me happy. Um, and Christ is, he's freeing us from that, if anything. He's freeing us from that and giving us what really can satisfy us, what really can give us true happiness. That in the midst of chaos, I could still smile because I have that. Yeah. And that's what he's offering, that's what he's given us. And so, you know, um, becoming like Christ, that's, like you said, hard but beautiful. Well, he says again, it's hard. It's both harder and easier. And easier, yeah. And, um, yeah. and so, I mean, he makes the point that we shouldn't be surprised. It sounds like an oxymoron, but we shouldn't be surprised at that because that's really how Jesus speaks. Mm-hmm. In some places, he talks about how things are hard, and in some places, he 
he doesn't. So, you know, Christianity involves taking up your cross. Yeah. That's, I think we would all agree, it's about as hard as you can imagine. That's Matthew 16. But it also, it also, he also says in Matthew 11, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's just one example of Jesus not contradicting himself. But as one of my, one of my favorite sports writers has said many times, and I've come to really appreciate this philosophy, more than one thing can be true at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And so Christianity can be both hard and easy. Yeah. It just dep- kind of depends on what you're talking about. And so, and so, yeah, so we understand how hard it is to, to hand over our whole self to Jesus. We're not, as, fall, as fallen people, we're not wired to turn over control, especially us Americans. We like to, you know, determine our own path. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this feels unnatural. Yeah. But it's also easier... Lewis talks about how it's easier than what a lot of people try to do, which is to to hold on to yourself, to try to be moral, uh, while still trying to fulfill your own happiness, yeah. which leaves you in constant conflict. Yeah. And this is where Lewis says when Jesus is talking about, he, he's referencing Matthew 7, where uh, thistles can't produce figs. Mm. And that quote from 7.16, by, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And he goes on to describe it even even better. He says, you know, a field of grass can't produce wheat. Um, he says you can keep, you can take a field of grass, you can trim it, you can edge it. Did you, by the way, did you get your new uh, trimmer for your lawn? I did. All it right. works fantastic. That's very exciting. Very happy with my new trimmer. Nothing better as a homeowner than <laughs> spending a lot of money to to buy something you already had. Yeah, right. Right. Um, <laughs> love that. But so you can trim a field of grass and you can keep it looking nice, but mm. it's still grass. If you want a field of grass to become wheat, you need to change it on a deeper level, which is you need to plow up, take up the grass and put down wheat seed. Yeah. Is wheat seed a thing? It's a it thing has now. To be, right? It's becoming a thing wheat now. Has to come, <laughs> you said it, Jeff. It's wheat, a thing. <laughs> wheat. And I said weed instead of wheat. We're not, we're not talking about planting a field of weed. We're talking about planting a field of wheat. Wheat with the T. Um, yeah, which we may have to go back and edit this part, but... Um, but in order to turn a field of of, of Bermuda grass <laughs> or Kentucky bluegrass into a field of sorghum wheat, <laughs> sorghum a thing? No, Durham. Sorghum is something else. Durham wheat or semolina wheat. Danny, I read my pasta labels. <laughs> I, I, I see. In order to turn that into... I just know wheat. cream of wheat. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to plow it up and you got to replant new stuff. Mm. And that is essentially is what is what God wants to do. Yeah. And so again, um, doesn't come all at once. We have our good moments when, on our good days, when we are really allowing God to work, we're really allowing God to do His thing, and we, and that's a good thing. And then we have those moments um, where we don't. But hopefully, as we as we allow God to do that more and more, eventually that starts to become who we are. Yeah. I'm someone who is allowing God to get in there and replant yeah. and change things on that deeper level. And that's, in Lewis's words, that's, that's what most, or most, good grief, that's what Jesus is talking about. We've been talking for a while. Uh, that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5 when he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount about being perfect as I am perfect. Yeah. But it only comes when we're willing to stop making all the compromises we like to make and to let God in fully to do, to do his work. Yeah. Absolutely. Can you think, you know, Danny, acknowledging openly that we are all works in progress, we are trying, we are on the path of discipleship, uh, we're on the path of, um, you know, be- becoming transformed. Um, can you think of some changes that God has already produced in you over time that mm-hmm. feel like they're, they're real changes? Like I'm not, it's not just that I got rid of a bad habit, it's that I'm not this person anymore is there anything like that that you know that you'd be willing to share i'm just wondering uh, sometimes those things are a little on the personal side but well um i don't mind i would say that god has worked on me in a sense that i think before i had uh i used to do things with the wrong motives put it like that um so i could get over someone so i could get what i wanted no matter how i needed to get it you know but and and 
you know, and, and so it may have presented itself. I think we were just talking about this earlier, right? It may have presented itself as something good, but deep down in the surface, it was something selfish that I wanted. You know, there was some other uh, um, goal that I had in mind. Um, and so I think God has worked in me. It, t- it took, it was painful and it took a lot of reflection and it took a lot of allowing God to work in me and, and a strong desire to, to, uh, to please God um, and a deep recognition of who I am before God. Right. I think all those things played a part in, in this process. Um, but God has produced in me motives that are pure, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, and and this is long term. This is till the day I die. I'm always going to be working on these yeah. things, right? And you'll still have selfishness in you. Yeah, but. yeah. I'm not saying that that's all completely eliminated, but I am saying that who I used to be is not me anymore. Yeah. You know, uh, the the things that I used to pursue, the things that I, uh, uh, the the ways that I used to pursue things um, in my past are not the same ways and are not the same things that they are now, you know? Um, And so God has changed my outlook on life completely, you know? Um, It's been good. It's been really good, man. I'm very grateful. And if if you lend your ear to me, you'll learn that I'm very grateful for this. (laughs) I'm glad to hear you say say that and not God has changed me completely. And I'm really mad about it. I wish he would change me. (laughs) I I would be disappointed if that was your conclusion. Uh, No, not at all. um, So, you know, uh, but, you know, like I said, that, that, and that's the thing, you know, the process can be painful, you know, the process can be, because it takes, you know, looking inward, it takes, you know, uh, What God is doing is in contrast to what we're so used to doing, you know, um, it's it's day and night. And so it takes intentionality on our part, I think, to, to let God in and let him expose those things of darkness, right? Yeah. Let him expose and let his light shine in our lives and... and and let those roaches scatter, right? <laughs> Wait, there were rats you know, before. Yeah, the rats are now the roaches, right? And so, <laughs> um, and so, you know, and the more that we allow God's light in our lives, the more light we become in the world, I think, you know. Um, and so, and, and I think, uh, you know, what we talked about earlier, being in the scriptures, you know, um, because it matters what we put in our minds. It does matter. You know, I've seen this past year, we've talked about, you know, uh, we're, you know the pandemic and all the, the exposure that has brought to the surface this past year in all of us. Mm-hmm. And um, but one of the things that I've noticed is just where we're looking for our source of wisdom, where we're looking for our source of, you know, wisdom yeah and 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 you know and it's uh we haven't been looking if we've been looking we haven't been looking as a primary source in the right places i'm not saying that every source is bad out there i'm not saying that the internet is bad i'm not saying that but what i'm saying is that it's not the primary source for living godly lives and so if we want to achieve that if we want to grow in holiness, if we want to become more like Jesus Christ, then we need to be diving into the scriptures on a daily basis. I mean, that that's, those scriptures ought to be rattling in our brains every single day. And that's how God can, you know, he'll, he'll transform us day in, day out, you know. Because the things that we've learned throughout our lives didn't just happen overnight. We've learned them in a lifetime. Now we're unpacking those things and trying to yeah. learn the things of God. Well, and sometimes the the stuff from the scriptures doesn't we don't connect with it or doesn't click until we've experienced something. Yeah. So that too, if we if the more scripture we're putting in our heads, the more we're going to recognize God's wisdom in certain scenarios when they come up. Like oh. Oh yeah, I think I just read something about this that sort of addresses that mm-hmm. that situation. So yeah, 
abstract too. You know, I was just thinking about turning points in my life, um, change over time. You know how often God works. I I am not a. I know God has the power to create tragedies and things like that. I do not think that is generally God's default position. You know, mm-hmm. when there's an earthquake, I don't think. Gee, I wonder why God is punishing the Philippines or whatever. I, right. Again, can he? Yes. Does he? I don't think that's typically how God does things. And I think on the individual level, um, so some of the things that I've, where I have had myself exposed, you know, the rats in the basement or the roaches, if you prefer to, have <laughs> been, you know, through hard times and that I don't believe yeah. God created. Like, for, you know, one of the formative events of my life was going through a divorce. Yeah. So um, I, I wouldn't want to go that's the worst thing I've ever been through and I do not believe God was pleased in the failure of my marriage so I don't believe God caused my marriage to collapse so he could teach me stuff but in the process of going through that it created a lot of opportunities for self-examination which is very hard and you know self-examination in a crisis situation with the, where the stakes are high, where it would have been better to have self-examination before you get to the crisis situation. But, you know, just think about some of the things that I've learned, and I'm not saying I've, that I'm completely transformed in those things, but, you know, from looking in the mirror and saying, okay, you know, you were a partner in a failed marriage. You can't blame, you can't blame your partner for all this. What did you, what did you bring to the table that yeah. caused us? I know, for example, you know, handling criticism I, I i think have been i don't know why but in my marriage i was very i was very defensive so when something when my wife would want to raise something that she felt like we needed to talk about my default position a lot of times was to just get defensive and to start mm-hmm. like well here's why and well that's not true and and you know at the time i'm just thinking well i'm just trying to make paint a more accurate picture but as I look back and see myself in that, I realize that's not conducive to listening. When you get defensive, the first thing you do is your brain stops listening to what that person's saying, which may, which you may need to hear, yeah. and you're, for, you're just formulating answers. <laughs> so it's completely the opposite of being quick to listen and slow to speak. It's, mm. the, and it's, it's the exact opposite of that. And so learning, learning, seeing that in me and seeing how that was not helpful um, has helped me. Again, I, I still have struggles sometimes with criticism. Nobody enjoys it, but I at least recognize when I start to get defensive, I think now, and I think that's something that God has done in me long term yeah. that's definitely for the better. Um, he's still working on that. But I think that's one example of, you know, God, God working, um, you know, helping me to put on Christ by taking me through a, ba- a bad experience but helping me to learn from it yeah. which I don't know if we were wiser we would learn before those moments came but well and and God's glorified in those moments I think you know um, you know he, he doesn't stop being God he, he works in those moments I think sometimes the best because you get the you know it's like you said it makes us vulnerable it puts us in a position where we really depend on him you know and and god pulls us through god pulls us through he does i always think about paul uh the apostle paul in in the passage in second corinthians chapter 12 where he's talking about his weaknesses mm-hmm. You know, and, he's, and and his attitude is like, man, I see, yeah, I've dealt with insults, I've dealt with hardships, I've said, but you know what? I boast in my weaknesses, I yeah. boast in these things because, you know, it's the grace of God working in him, and God is glorified through all this. And, and so I think there was some maturing in Paul's life throughout that process, you know, so God has a way of working, man. <laughs> God, God has a way of working in our lives. It's almost like He's God and we're not. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Well, as he wraps up this chapter, Lewis does remind us that really, again, this this is sort of the this is the whole of Christianity. This is really what it's about, or in his opinion, what it's about, or what it should be about, which is Christians becoming like Christ. Mm. And so, he makes a great point here that I think is 
really interesting, especially with us both being involved in full-time church work, so to speak, is is that this should inform the way that we think about churches, what church is like. And so, um, you know, he talks about, it's interesting to hear a 1940s British perspective on government, but he says governments have a lot of branches and those branches do things and those things are important, but essentially they exist to, to promote, like if you think about America, government exists to promote things like are expressed in the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's why you have government in, in theory to promote those things for the individual. It says the church exists to draw people to Jesus mm-hmm. and to help them, his, his words, not just to draw them to Jesus, but to make them into Christ's. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's hard to argue with that. <laughs> if making disciples is truly our core task, that's that's it. So, but yeah, churches get caught up in uh, caught up in other things. What are some other things that churches wrestle with that you've seen that that sort of distract us from that mission? Well, I think anything. I think sometimes some some of the things that are going on in the world around us uh, really affect the church within um you know and a lot of them tend to be debatable matters things that are matters of opinion but you know um uh you know we live in a secular age and there's a lot of you know um uh and, and it makes its way into the church too sure and so you know and i'm not saying this is the only age that it's a you know it's it's always been uh, a struggle, but it, it, it's it's a struggle, you know. And I think these are things that can distract us um, when we get caught up with uh, matters of the world as uh, and, and let them take uh, priority over Christ, over matters of the gospel, and matters of making disciples. We got a problem. Right. That's a problem. You know. And there's constant pressure on us to do that because we have, we face the individual pressure out in the world. Yeah. And so we, you know, we're a church of however many individuals. We bring those into the church, right. the church body, the church family, and we start pushing for those things that are important but not that important. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't take much for a church, especially top down, yeah. for a church to start going down other paths. I mean, it's, it's amazing how... How many churches are caught up in politics? How many churches are caught up in, in issues of social justice, which is a, a larger a larger discussion and has a place in the biblical conversation? But they're so they're so focused on certain things going on in the community that they really don't speak to the gospel anymore. Right. That their mission becomes we're going to try to correct these wrongs, which may need correcting, but ultimately at the at the cost of making disciples and so those are some examples that you see mm-hmm. across the across the spectrum of conservative to progressive or liberal to conservative or whatever yeah. um, there's just a lot of those pitfalls absolutely and so yeah so our struggle is really trying to trying to help the church to try to prioritize our own lives and then to try to help the church have this as a priority, mm-hmm. helping our people become more like Christ. I think our elders do a great job of being focused on that. I, I'm struck by, um, without getting into specific things, I know we've sat in rooms with elders and, you know, in a time of change in the world, you get an issue coming up, what you said earlier about it, some sort of disputable matter that um, we could try to take on something that might that some people might like to see changed within this congregation, for example, and um, the I think the eldership done a great job of saying, you know what, that because that's a disputable matter, because we're not doing it wrong, but we could be doing it differently. But if we do it differently, all we're going to be all we're going to be talking about that is that thing that we're changing, mm-hmm. and we're not going to be talking about discipleship. And so let's really think through. Yeah. You know, the things that need to change, the things that must change versus the things that maybe should change versus the things that, well, if we change that, some people will be really happy and some people will be really mad. Yeah. And it's not going to, doesn't help us become more like God wants us to be, but it does create distractions. And right. so yeah. um, eliminating or, or trying to not get caught up in those distractions and staying focused. 
Yeah, that's a struggle. That's yeah. a struggle, but that's that's the core of it. You that's know. probably a very cryptic comment, a cryptic comment there. But <laughs> without wanting to raise issues and things, it's not not the point. But yeah. the idea that everybody knows that there are theological issues always being debated in any yeah. Christian group. So. Yeah. Sorry, didn't mean to. No, you're good. You're good. I'm just imagining our, our listener getting to the end of that going, well, Jeff just talked for two minutes and really didn't say anything. <laughs> well, what do you think? Anything else you want to talk about on this subject? I think I'm good. Go make disciples. Go make disciples. <laughs> Go make disciples. And, and while you're making them, continue to become a disciple. Absolutely. That's the thing. They're not... Yeah. They're not separable. No, it's intertwined. We, we, yeah, we can't be one or the other. We want to yeah. be making and becoming. So, all right. Well, thanks for listening again to our listener out there. And I think next time we will do chapter nine as a standalone, and I think we have one more after that. So, but we'll see. And who knows? It might be twenty twenty four before. <laughs> Hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Hope not. Until then, uh, it's been good to hang out and chat, Danny. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks. Bye.